It is the start of a, a new year, and uh, many of us have seen a few of these new years. Uh, I guess there are a couple amongst us, maybe one at least this morning, who saw her first new year last evening. But many of us, even in our spiritual life, have, have seen a few, a few new years. We'll be in Philippians chapter 3 this morning, and I'll get there in just a little bit. You can kind of gradually turn there if you'd like to. Uh, I've entitled this teaching, What Will We Treasure in 2006? Um, do we have any New Year's resolution makers in the audience? Anybody that will admit to being, okay, a few, okay. I, I used to be, but uh, I was such a failure, I quit making them, and that's, that's the truth, actually. Uh, I realize in, in many ways this is just another day. The sun came up this morning, much like it did yesterday morning, and much like it will tomorrow morning, God, uh, God willing. But I do believe there is some significance to the beginning of a new year. And maybe a better way of saying that, it's, it's an opportunity, as we've heard already this morning, to reflect and, and regroup a bit, a time to look back and a time to look ahead. Many of you may be familiar with Pastor Tony Evans down in the Dallas area. We catch him every now and then on the radio and just enjoy his enthusiasm and uh, his zeal. And, and he tells a great story encouraging people to look forward. Uh, he uses the analogy of driving a car, and maybe some of you have heard this story, but he says if you'll notice when you drive a car, there's a little bitty rearview mirror up in the center of your windshield, and every now and then you need to glance in it to see what's behind you and see if there are any cars back there, any, any trouble behind, but there's this humongous windshield and it shows you the road ahead. You can read the signs, where you're going. You can see where you need to turn off. And, and he would say he wants you to spend time looking in the, the windshield. And if you spend too much time looking in the rearview mirror, he does not want to be on the road with you because you are going to crash. And uh, so uh, it's just his way of, of challenging us, I, I think, uh, spiritually uh, to do something like this. We, we do need to look in our spiritual rearview mirror from time to time to remember what God has done for us, uh, to remember what he has saved us from, to remember, quite honestly, how wretched and lost we were apart from the saving grace of, of Jesus Christ. So, so it's, it's a-okay, it's great to periodically look in your spiritual rearview mirror, but the real challenge... Um, he shares, and I would agree, the real excitement of the Christian life is what's ahead. Where does God want you going? What does he want you doing? How will he use you? What is he preparing you for? So look through the windshield, if you will, for his plans for you. Jeremiah 29, 11 says God, God tells his people who are, who are exiles in Babylon and, and says this to them, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. And I believe that's true for us today as well. Even if we don't particularly like our yesterday or like our today, uh, the future is very, very bright for those of us who know Christ, and, and we certainly need to remember that. It was almost a year ago today, about this time, that Mike challenged us to remember and be looking for signs of life in our own Christian walk. You guys remember that? <clears throat> As a matter of fact, he, he made sure we'd remember it. He gave us our mugs. Were you, were you here this Sunday when, when we got mugs? And Pat, I told you I'd work that coffee into the... <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll just leave this here for you. You can fill it up. <laughs> 
Um, and, and, and every time I sip coffee out of this, which is quite frequently, uh, I am reminded of that. And it's, it's just a nice, a nice challenge. Just for a little bit of fun, I, I do need to share with you that my wife and daughter gave me another mug just this Christmas season. And it, and it looks something like this. Now, if you can't see that, it says troublemaker on it. So, uh, are you sure you still want me up here this morning, I guess? So, <clears throat> so there's another one, Pat. A couple of, couple of cups. Yeah, two. Put those on the books. As, as we move into yet another year, do keep looking for signs of life. I want to offer another challenge for us this year. And, it, and it's simply the question that I mentioned earlier. What will we treasure? What will we prize? What will we value? And how will it affect our day-to-day lives? In, in 2005, looking back through your rearview mirror, were your priorities straight? Did we use our time and our talents and our treasures in ways that were eternally significant? Or did all too often we blow it? And I think this is just a, a, a great day, as any day would be, for us to reflect backwards. I guess I want to give you the message today, and, I, and I'm sure that I don't have to tell you the good news about blowing it, so to speak. And, and that is that, uh, remember do-overs when you were a kid? Uh, God gives do-overs, doesn't he? he? He knew from the beginning that we would fail time and time again we would fail and provided Christ for our forgiveness. First John 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Uh, don't forget that uh, as we look in our rearview mirror from time to time. I've, I've chosen the scripture this morning, the first 14 verses from Philippians chapter 3. And here Paul is writing to a church, uh, quite honestly, in, in, in many ways about their priorities. He's going to share what used to be most important to him. And maybe we can think of that as in 2005. And, and then he's going to share what he's learned that needs to be most important now in 2006. And before we read those verses, let me just offer a prayer as we open God's Word. Lord, as we hear from you this morning, I pray that um, each one of us, Lord, would just hear the message and the word and the challenge and the hope and the encouragement and the blessing that, uh, that we come here needing. Lord, we, we know that you uh, minister to us and speak to us through your word, and we're just so thankful for it and ask your blessing on it as it's shared this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same thing to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those men who do evil, those mutilators of the flesh, for it is we who are the circumcision, we who worship by the Spirit of God, who glory in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If anyone else thinks he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for legalistic righteousness, faultless. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. 
What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. I want to know Christ and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in His sufferings, becoming like Him even to death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection of the dead. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it yet. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. I like the way Paul starts out the passage uh, paraphrasing a bit. He says, I, I've told you this before, and I'm going to tell you this again. Any of you parents ever use some version of that? Uh, I, I might say it a little bit differently, but uh, basically he's saying this is very, very important. I don't mind repeating this because you need to hear this. And, and do keep in mind the church in Philippi was, was a very vibrant church, was a very good church, a very godly, a very giving, a very loving church. Uh, but they had started receiving some bad teaching, and Paul was concerned. He says, watch out. There are those among you who would lead you astray, who would require things of you and emphasize things that are not eternally important. And we're not going to go into specifically what they were this morning, other than to say that they certainly were getting some bad information. And it basically was adding salvation requirements to, uh, to what Christ has done. And, and Paul says, don't, don't fall for it. It is Christ and Christ alone. He goes on to give what I'll call an, an oh, by the way. I, I love this. It's sort of his pre-Christ spiritual resume, if you will. Oh, by the way, if, if anyone could possibly meet these legalistic requirements that some are telling you you need to meet, it would be me. I had it all. I was the Hebrew of all Hebrews, uh, the Israelite of all Israelites. I was from the tribe of Benjamin. I was circumcised on the eighth day. A zealous Pharisee, there, there, there was no one more zealous than I. As far as legalistic righteousness, I was faultless. But... And you know how our literature teachers always tell us when you see a but or a however, uh, now, comes, now comes the important part. Paul says, whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss. I've seen the light, and literally he had seen the light. Whatever I used to highlight on my resume, now I erase. Now I white out. Everything is rubbish except knowing Christ. That which I used to treasure, I now know to trash. Uh, if Dan Billen were here this morning, I'd tell him that sounds like a good idea for a song, but I, I think he's already beat me to that. Paul is telling us here that for years, he treasured all the wrong things. And now all he treasures is knowing Christ and the power of his resurrection. Are we treasuring the right stuff now as we start 2006? Uh, in 2006 and beyond, let's focus on knowing Christ 
treasuring that above all, all else. This week I lost my wedding ring. It's obviously very special to me. I've had it for 25 years. Plan to have it for as many more as I'm on this earth. And uh, it represents something very, very special in Teresa and I's marriage. And, and, and yet, I want to show you the end of the story. It's okay, I found it. But, but not for a couple of days. And uh, it went something like this. Sam and I were out working on our outhouse on Tuesday. And for those of you that have been to our home, uh, you know that that needs a lot of work. And uh, so we were out working. We'd been up on the roof, tearing the roof off, and we'd been grinding out mortar. And we looked really bad. We, we looked really bad. Sam had sort of dusted himself off and gone on in, and I'd put away the, the last few tools. And I was just out in the yard by the edge of the driveway, just dusting off, and the dust was just flying. And as I did one of these, the wedding ring just went flying off. It had never happened before. And I heard one little tink sort of far away, and then I didn't hear anything else. And I thought, I could just kind of stop and, you know, took a couple of breaths and somehow managed to think to put a rock down right where I was so that I could come back to that spot. And I started looking. And it was just about dusk, and I couldn't find it. That's got to be here. So I looked again, couldn't find it, started to panic, went to the back door and yelled for Teresa and the kids bring the flashlights, come out, dad needs help, with what, finding my wedding ring, oh my goodness. So we're all out there looking for this wedding ring, and we don't find it. So I don't really rest that well. The next morning I get up, and of course the first thing I do is go outside, and, and Sam has joined me out there, and we're looking again, and we don't find the wedding ring. And I'm just beginning, my, my spirits are just sinking. And Sam remembers that a, a friend of ours, one of our bagpipe uh, majors, has a metal detector. And so I go in and I call Steve Denny. Some of you may know him. And, and uh, he, answer, he answered the phone. I said, hi, Steve. And I must have said it in such a downcast way. The first words out of his mouth were, what's wrong, Stan? I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. Do I sound that bad? He's like, you sound bad. And I said, well, it's not everybody's okay. It's just I've lost my wedding ring. And Sam thinks maybe you have a metal detector. He said, I'll be right over. It was just one of those one of those friend moments that you know you just sometimes need. It was sort of I didn't know what I expected to say, well yeah, you can come over and borrow it, or well I'm busy now, but I'll be over on Saturday or something. I both of those would have been I, I think great, but he just said I'll be right over. It's just great. That, that's another sermon on encouragement all all in itself. But he came over and, and uh, after feeling like we were looking for a needle in a haystack for two days, he was there maybe a half an hour, and beep, 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 beep. And these metal detectors, now maybe some of you have on the little screen, it tells you what it's found. So it says ring, gold, surface. Ring, gold, surface. We picked it up. It was only about six or seven feet from where it had flung off. And, and I sort of thought it would be further, so I think most of my really good looking was probably way past where where the ring was. But uh, I realized something, and I guess the main reason I share that story with you this morning is, number one, it had an impact on my week, and uh, number two, it struck me that while the ring was lost, I was really pursuing that ring. Uh, I was relentless in trying to find that ring. It's all I could think of. I really couldn't rest very well until I got the ring back in my possession. And, and I think that's how Paul is challenging us to know Christ in, in this scripture, to pursue Christ with the same passion that we sometimes pursue things that 
are of much less value, certainly eternally. Uh, Paul is saying that there's one thing we should be pursuing, and that's knowing Christ. Knowing Christ and the power of his resurrection. Like me, uh, do you get caught up pursuing what the world says, perhaps, is valuable? And spend less energy pursuing the things of Christ. Let's, let's together encourage one another to pursue knowing Christ in 2006. Word pictures helped me, and it, as I read those verses that I read for you just a moment ago, I, I sort of pictured two piles, sort of like uh, the billion song, the, the trash and treasure song. I, I sort of pictured the, the rubbish pile, and maybe sometimes if you're like me, you can, that seems like a landfill, you know, the rubbish pile of all the stuff that really doesn't matter, but we, we think it's, it's valuable. And I, I pictured a, a Christ pile, a true treasure pile. The rubbish pile, if you will, is full of things like pride, self-righteousness, things that puff us up, make us feel important, uh, make us feel big, but quite honestly, it simply boils down to one word, and that's sin. And it certainly is of no value spiritually. This is simply all the stuff that gets in the way of us trusting and accepting and, and knowing Christ better and better, and it certainly minimizes what he has done for us. The Christ pile, on the other hand, is one of humility. It's one that recognizes our depravity and realizes that our righteousness and our salvation come from Christ alone. Uh, the song that we'll sing in a bit says, a, a broken spirit and a contrite heart is what God desires, and that certainly fits here. Now, as far as earthly rewards go, however, the rubbish pile may get you a lot of them. Paul was at the top of his class, working his way up the Pharisee ladder, I guess you would, uh, you would say, persecuting the church, killing Christians. Uh, and, and what did those people around him do? They applauded him. Excuse me, the medicine's wearing off here. <laughs> you can be praying for John and I up here this morning. We're struggling through colds. The people applauded him. But when Paul met Jesus on that dusty road to Damascus, his whole world flipped upside down. He traded all that rubbish in for Christ. And on earth, he wasn't nearly as well accepted, was he? Everything he used to treasure, his status, his name, his position, his, his former actions, his family lineage, his title, all the stuff that used to be really important to Paul and, and can get in the way for, for me as well, he now considered rubbish. And he replaced it with one thing, and that was knowing Christ. And we all know his story. He pursued Christ for the rest of his life. His life on earth had been very prestigious. And I'm sure when he gave it up, many around him called him foolish. And as I look at what he got for the swap, um, well, what did he get for the swap? On earth, he, he gave up a lot, didn't he? And, and, and what he got, it seems to me, was a lot of hard work, uh, a lot of long hours, some dangerous journeys, uh, a really bad ship ride, um, numerous prisons, and eventually death. Doesn't sound very glamorous, does it? But as he sits eternally now in heaven, 
uh, let's just say he's doing okay. Paul learned the lesson of treasuring knowing Christ, and it certainly worked out for him and, and for me and for us. Let's follow his example. I do want to mention this morning, if, if like me, do you ever get caught up thinking, I'll, I'll never get it turned around, I, I can't do it, I'm in too far, I'm too far gone. If people really knew the secrets in my life, they'd know that, that I'm lost. And, and I just want to challenge you to remember that those are lies straight from the enemy. And I, I want to do it by sharing Paul's story for just a moment. Back to Acts 9, in, in verse 1, it says that Paul is breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. That's code for he's killing us, all right? That's code for he's killing Christians and pursuing their death all around the area that he lives in and beyond. But what happens by verse 18 of the same chapter? He's being baptized. I don't know if any of us can top that testimony. I don't know if any of us want to top that testimony. But if Christ can get Paul turned around by showing him his love and his light, then he certainly can help us. So don't, don't give up on yourself. Don't give up on those around you. Because when we do, we're actually giving up on Christ. And that's not a good thing. I do have to take just a little bit of a bunny trail here because I noticed something for the first time. You all have probably noticed it before. I was just amused by verse verse 11, and those of you who know me well know I'm kind of a goofy, silly type, and I'm trying to not act like that this morning, but I am, I am basically that way by nature, and as many of you have met my dad, so you see where I, see where I come by it, but I, I noticed here... Uh, that in verse 11, when Paul, Saul at that time, was staying in Damascus after he had seen Christ, he's at a house on Straight Street. I, I love that. He got straightened out on Straight Street. Uh, he got put on the straight and narrow on Straight Street. I don't know of another place in the Bible where it mentions a street's name. There may be. I know streets of gold. I'm looking forward to those. But I just thought it was rather, rather funny that Paul was staying on Straight Street when, uh, when, Christ, uh, when Christ touched his life and, and turned him around. I also found myself just for a moment thinking about poor Ananias, the guy who gets tapped on the shoulder by God and, and God tells him to go speak with Saul. And uh, I got to thinking about what that would be like today and, and the closest analogy I could come to is it would be sort of like God tapping one of us on the shoulder and saying, I need you to go talk to Osama bin Laden. I, I have something I, I need you to share with him. And, and you know, uh, Ananias, he, he has a, a slight reservation. He, he does remind the Lord that Saul has been doing these bad things, which, of course, the Lord knows. But he then is, is very obedient and, and goes to, to, to be with Paul and to pray with Paul and to spend time with Paul. And I'm just so impressed by that. In 2006, what will we treasure? Will our rubbish pile or our Christ pile grow most? Where will we spend our time, our talents, and our treasures? Will we spend them purely on earthly pleasures, or will we use them for God's glory? To help us treasure Christ and have our priorities straight in 2006, I I want to offer two questions, two prayers, if you will, that you can periodically ask yourself or those close to you. I, I started asking them this past year, and uh, 
quite honestly, uh, sometimes I don't like the answers that I give to my own questions. But at the end of the day, uh, it struck me that it would be a great question to ask myself and my family members, what did we do today that mattered eternally? What did you do today that mattered eternally? And, and that will look different to each one of us, but in your corner of the world, whether it's at home or at school or at work or you're out driving or you're out shopping or wherever you are, as you seek to know Christ better, what did you do that mattered eternally? And if you're like me and having trouble with that question at the end of the day, then how about the prayer at the beginning of the day that asks God to give you something, an opportunity to serve Him in ways that matter eternally? And I believe those two questions, prayers, really, would be wonderful bookends on your day as you spend time in prayer with God. I should probably point out that for most of us, the answer to that question won't be the same as perhaps someone like Billy Graham who could say, well, today I preached to 150,000 people in Central Park in New York City. You know, that, that's not going to be the answer that most of us give. It's probably going to be something more like, well, I... I I did my very best on an assignment at school or, or in my job today. I, I taught my child at home a story about Jesus from the Bible. I, I went out of my way to help a friend who was in need. I invited someone into my home for fellowship and encouragement. I called someone I hadn't heard from for a long time to see how they were doing. I prayed for someone who God laid on my heart. I gave a smile and a hug to someone in the checkout line. The, the list could go on and on, but you can see they're very simple, simple things. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. That's very true in that simple little poem that I thought kind of summed up this portion of my talk. I, I do know it's all of our desire to worship Christ better, and that's why we're here this morning. How do we do that? Well, how do we get to know anyone better than we know them now? We spend time with them. I've been so challenged over the years we've been worshiping here with, with you all about from my continually reminding us to spend time daily in our Word, in God's Word, with our Scriptures. And, 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 and it's as simple as that. And in 2006 and beyond, let's, let's do two, two things. Let's keep our Bibles open and our knees bent. In, in closing, Paul tells us this from Philippians chapter 3. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind. Can you do that? Forget what's behind if you need to. And I think we all do at times. And straining towards what is ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, we just ask your help in accomplishing that which you've called us to do this morning and throughout these years in your word. Lord, help us to pursue you, to, to seek to know you and the power of your resurrection, Lord, in 2006 and beyond. And help us to share that with those around us, Lord. Thanks for um, the little peaks you give us of how much you've done for us and and what you've saved us from, Lord. And we ask that you reveal to our church and to us individually where you would have us to go and what you would have us to do over the year to come and help us to pursue that with a passion that pleases and glorifies your name.
We love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.